You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. The scripture for this morning is taken from Obadiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 14. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joshua. Lord bless you, church. All right, so uh, today I'm going to bring us a second sermon from the book of uh, Obadiah. Okay, and as you read, uh, that's quite a a frightening uh, state of affairs. Uh, happening there. So, um, so imagine that uh, one day you were looking out the window uh, at a uh, bus stop and you saw an old lady uh, and a young man next to her. Uh, and then out of the blue, a, uh, a drunken man just staggering over calm and then uh, saw the old lady push her on the ground and then snatch her, perf- her purse and then ran away. There's an old lady laying on the, on the ground, reaching out for help. And the young man next to her, look at her, too immersed in his own phone, never helped her. How would you feel if you saw that? Would you be upset with this young man? Hey, what's happening with you? Why can't you help this young lady, this old lady, right? And then later on, you found out that this young man uh, is the grandson. Now, would you be even more upset with this young man? Hey, you should know enough young men to help people in need, especially your grandmother. How can you sit there and do nothing? Right? So uh, I think we can all agree that the failure of the young man to protect his grandmother is unacceptable. Right? So we as Christians have a responsibility to defend others, especially those who are in our natural and spiritual family. Family matters. And there's, uh, so as we look around, there is uh, actually a lot of violence going on in this world. Uh, it can, they can be seen or unseen. They can be far away. And they can even right, be right in our own homes. What should we do? Should we ignore it, or should we intervene? So this is what we're going to look at today uh, in the book of Obadiah, okay? So what Obadiah teaches us about protecting our families, firstly, the special responsibility for our family, okay? Then secondly, the descent into violence, and then thirdly, the path away from violence, Okay, special responsibility for our family, 
the descent into violence, and then the way out away from violence. All right? So let's begin with point one. So we all know that God hates violence and injustice, right? And as Christians, we should be part of the solution to protect our families, uh, and rather than watch passively or even be, uh, be the source of violence in our own family. The text we see today begins with a prophecy of judgment on, the, on Edom. This is one of the main themes in the, in the book of, uh, uh, of uh, Obadiah, judgment against Edom. So we read in verse 10, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Strong words. The violence done to, uh, to the Israelites was primarily inflicted by the Babylonians, led by King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. If you have been reading uh, uh, the book of uh, Jeremiah, you will see this happening. Uh, even today's text uh, in uh, Jeremiah 49 uh, talks about something very similar to what, uh, uh, what uh, the book of the Obadiah talks about. Okay? So the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, the temple of God, the city walls, and they took most of the people captive, killing men, women, and children. Families were torn apart. Communities and businesses were decimated. So it is interesting that in this scenario, that Obadiah does not say that God will judge Edom because of the violence done to their neighbor, to the poor, to the widows, to the fatherless, these are all groups that are highly important to God. But in this case, God says, Edom will be judged for the violence done to their brother Jacob, for which they will be covered in shame and cut off forever. Family, rather than the rest of the group, is being singled out in this instance. You see, the Edomites and the Israelites had a special relationship with each other. They were descendants of twin brothers of Esau and Jacob. When, Re when uh, Rebekah was uh, pregnant with the twin boys, uh, God told her that two nations were conceived in her womb. And uh, so therefore, the Edomites and Israelites belonged to the same family. They were brothers. They were relatives. And that makes the sin of Edom much more serious in the eyes of God. How could they not protect their family when they were being attacked by the Babylonians? Because God cares about family relationships, especially in protecting one another from violence in our own family, in our spiritual family. So this expectation on Edom is not one-sided because we see... Uh, uh, the same thing is uh, spoken to the Israelites as well in Deuteronomy chapter 23. God said, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. It goes both ways. Now, Edomites and the Israelites had a long history of bad, bad blood. It began with family conflict between the two brothers, and it grew to... Uh, a murderous hatred where Esau wanted to kill 
Jacob because Jacob stole the, uh, the blessing from, uh, from the father. And the hostility was even passed on from generation to generation. Years later, when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they were on the way to a promised land, and, uh, and, the, and the, the shortest route was through Edom. So Moses asked the king of Edom to, for permission to pass through, and they would not disturb anything. They would even pay for water, whatever they need. But the king of Edom refused and threatened them, if you come in, we're going to kill you. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 8, there's an account of King David leading Israelites in a war against Edom. And in that battle, 18,000 Edomites were killed. And then the rest of the nation were taken captive to be their slaves. So this, over the history, back and forth, back and forth, brother nation killing each other, Hostility keep on growing. So with each conflict, hatred increase. And with each mistreatment of one another, the next one became easier and more depraved. Hostility between two brothers grew into hostility between two families. Hostility between two families grew into hostility between two nations. Sin grows from small to big, always. It is the same pattern in our family, people. It starts small. Maybe between two, two siblings, maybe between two family members, start with a small conflict. The next thing you know, you hate each other. If unrepented, the real irritation will grow into hatred and even violence. So church, the question for us this morning, is hostility growing in your family? Is irritation just grating at your nerves every time you see the other person? Is anger outbursts becoming more and more often and easier and easier? Be careful. That is how sin grows in our family, how it can grow from a small thing into violence. Domestic violence some more. So listen, people, when this is happening in your family, the problem is not primarily with the other person who is irritating, who is causing you with all these things to upset you. The problem is actually the sin in us. It is never about the other person. God is using the other person to bring out the sin in our heart so that we may be sanctified, so that we may become more Christ-like. So people, when you have this increasing hostility in your family, repent and ask God to show you the sin in your heart. And Pastor Guna preached about anger several weeks ago. In our anger, we are defending something. What are we defending? What is so important to us that we are willing to shout, kill, and hit each other? Now, last Sunday, we saw... Obadiah accusing Edom of uh, the sin of pride, right? This is like a prosecutor in a courtroom. I accuse you of this sin, sin of pride. Now today, in this chapter, the, the text that we read today, 
prophet acting like a prosecutor is going to present hard evidence to prove the sin of pride in Edom. Okay, then that's what we'll be looking at uh, shortly. Uh, see, pride always gives you a false sense of superiority so that you think that you are better than someone else. And because you think you are better than someone else, uh, they are so low, maybe you might even call them uh, an idiot or nobody in your mind. When they are reduced so low, there is absolutely no motivation for you to help them. Okay, why should you dirty your hand to help people like that? But God wants families to treat, to treat each other with love and care. He wants family to protect one another because families matter to God. And let's see the disastrous failure of Edom to protect their own brothers uh, in point two. Okay, this, the descent into violence. Edom didn't care. Okay? Now, how this starts is that it starts from something that seems to be quite small, and then it just spirals out of control and descends into outright um, violence. So I'll take you through that from our text today, from verses 11 to uh, 14. So in the beginning, just standing aloof. Okay? Verse 11, uh, Obadiah says, On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. The first step towards violence in this case is just standing aloof, watching violence being done to the broader nation and thinking, I don't care. It's not my problem. Does this strike you as a very big sin? Just being indifferent when bad things are happening. Violence that you witness, turn your, turn your head away, don't want to hear, don't want to see. Probably you don't think this is really, really a big deal, right? When I started first looking at this, well, what's the difference? What's the big deal about just being, don't care? That doesn't seem to be so bad. But watch out, people. Big sins are built from small sins. This is how it begins. Just don't care. Jacob is not my problem. We are safe. We are better off not getting involved. And we might think the same way. Why should we get involved with someone else? It's not our business. They can take care of themselves. It's not my business. We have enough problems of our own. But God sees it differently, people. Christians have a responsibility to care for others, to show them the love of God, especially in caring for those in our natural and spiritual family. So if we can help, we help. If we can encourage, we encourage. If we can defend, we defend them. Even in small things like just refusing to gossip, defending the person's dignity, and reputation. The next thing in verse 12, you see, do not, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Gloating is a hallmark of pride. Lifting yourself up through your own success while 
enjoying the, the misfortune of someone else. Hey, I am not like that. I am better than them. So the word, the word gloat uh, is repeated in verse 13. Uh, but in verse 13, uh, if you look at different translations, it, has, uh, it translates in uh, uh, several different ways. Okay? For instance, in the Amplified Bible, the word glow is translated into do not look with delight on the misery in the day of their ruin. And likewise, in uh, uh, the New King James Version, it translated that you should not have, ga- have gazed on their affliction. Okay, what, is, what is happening here is that the Edomites were aloof when it, come, when it came to helping the brothers. But it came to what was actually happening. They looked with delight. They gazed on. So in other words, they would not help. But they were eager to find out the juicy details of what was happening. They want to get closer and see and derive pleasure of their suffering. So people, don't we find ourselves in the same situation sometimes? When we hear about the fall of a Christian brother or sister, or fall of a Christian leader, or the fall of a Christian politician, we don't care enough to help, but we want to know the juicy details. Now the Apostle Paul tells us the proper response in this case is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Our posture when we see someone suffering is to help restore if we know the person. If we don't know that person, We pray for the restoration. And also, let it be a warning to us. Whatever is happening to them can happen to us because of the sin in us. Repent before it blows up in our own faces rather than rejoice in their calamity. And thirdly, we see the word rejoice. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. You see, whenever there's animosity between two people, the sinful nature in our heart is to be happy about it. You might think, serve him right. She had it coming. Thank God for teaching him or her a lesson and rejoice over their ruin. That's pride in us. And the next thing we see is that do not boast in the day of distress. Do not boast. This is the final progression in the, in, the, in, the, in the heart attitude in this progression uh, in this chapter. We boast because we believe we are better. This will never happen to us because we are better. We know better. We are smarter. We are more spiritual. I read my Bible. I'm in a cell group. I come to church And I know God favors me. We boast. People, when we see the distress, the day of distress of our brothers and sisters, we ought to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are not in distress 
only because God has spared us, though our sins are many. It is nothing that we deserve. If we want to boast, boast in the Lord. And then the final stage of physical violence, we see that, uh, we see that uh, firstly in verse 13, which I'm not showing, the Edomites marched through the gates of Jerusalem. In the beginning, the, the Babylonians marched through the gate. And then in, finally, the uh, Edomites also marched through the gate of Jerusalem. While they were there, they looted their wealth. And then, finally, in verse 14, do not stand at the crossroad to cut off his fugitives. Do not stand over his survivors in a day of distress. So we see what is happening is that the Edomites were catching Israelites who were running for their lives. They were being attacked by the Babylonians. They don't want to be, they don't want to be caught. They don't want to be killed. So they, were, they were running. And then the Edomites, instead of helping the refugees, fugitives, they caught them. One by one, they caught them and then turned them over to the Babylonians. In other words, the Edomites were not just, it was just not enough for them to steal and kick the brothers when they were down. They wanted their relatives to suffer in the hands of their, their enemy. So people, do you see the quick descent into violence? from something that seemed to be quite small and just being indifferent and being aloof into this sorry state of affairs. Small sins always go into big sins, guaranteed. So this can happen to us, brothers and sisters. At first, you just have a small conflict, and then you can't stand each other, you want to keep a distance, and then the bitterness grows in your heart, you rejoice when they suffer, and then you, in your mind, you reduce them into despicable people. And then, and then when, when, when something triggers you, hurtful words comes out. Rude gestures displayed, flying objects, and even physical violence against each other. This is how it will play out, people, because of the sin in our heart. And Jesus equates angry words with murder because he knows that swallow all angry words will spring murderous actions. So church, we are called to protect one another, especially people in our natural and spiritual families. Sometimes the conflicts are exasperated by us. I know that I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I want my kids or my family to do certain things, they're, the, they're good things, but I keep on nagging them, keep on nagging them until they cannot take it anymore. They burst out in anger. Next thing you know, one anger, another angry, everyone is angry. I have to repent that I have contributed to that because I exasperate them. So people, if this is happening in our family, let us repent. Let us come before God lay down our pride, and confess our wrongs. There's always wrong in us when there's conflict in our own family. Now, other times, bad things are happening in our own family, but we are just helpless. We try. We try our best, 
and we are not able to restore peace, whatever we have done, it is not working. If that is the case, people, continue to pray, knowing that God cares, knowing that help is on the way. All right, and then finally, the path away from violence. The path away from, okay, I've got a typo there, pathway away from violence. I meant to say path away from violence, okay? Now, how do we reverse the course of, uh, of violence? How do we walk the path away from violence? And how do we stand in the gap to defend those who need protection? All right, so uh, I'm going to address uh, three obstacles first, okay? The first obstacle, okay, sorry. Uh, the first obstacle is to deal with our pride, okay? Last Sunday, I said that pride comes from a pattern of wanting to go higher so that we can see others as lower. Uh, and uh, if we see ourselves as higher, uh, the people who need help as lower, we will not be inclined to help, right? So I mentioned that earlier. But when we look at Jesus, Jesus did not take pride in his divine status as the Son of God. Instead, he emptied himself and being, uh, becoming a, uh, a servant in the likeness of, uh, of man, and uh, he lowered himself to our level. He is the brother who is willing to protect our souls, even to the point of his death. So now, if we, if we grasp the concept of how our Lord has lowered himself in order to care for us, we will be able to go and protect someone else whom we might think is equal to us otherwise. And many of us actually have family members who are not saved, okay? Many, many relatives, parents, children, uh, and so on, right? And uh, would we not lower our pride to continue to share the gospel with them, even though they have made it clear that they don't want to hear it? Even though they have made it clear that they don't like this gospel they have been hearing, some of us have been rejected multiple times. Continue to reach out to them. Lower our pride. Whatever they say is not important. Whatever God says about us is infinitely more important. All right? And secondly, if we're going to reach out to protect people, uh, we need to deal with our unforgiveness. Okay? Because they see that Esau was wronged by his brother Jacob repeatedly, right? First by stealing his birthright, then uh, stealing his uh, blessing from the father, and then the Edomites and the Israelites were engaged in many, many violent conflicts, and each time the Edomites were killed by Israelites, they were anguish-filled, resentment even more because of all the conflicts. Unforgiveness increases. Something like this actually happened in, uh, in Singapore, uh, in 1942, when the Japanese came invaded uh, uh, Singapore, okay, and I think you can see this in the Changi Museum, uh, and uh, the Japanese carried out massacres and tortured countless people brutally. So, if you can get the feeling of, of, of that that um, kind of situation, you will you will know that how difficult it is to forgive someone who has done you wrong, right? So, uh, for Edomite. The torture was even more than the, uh, the torture done by the Japanese because it was done by the brother nation, not foreigners. 
So why should we help people who have wronged us? Every fiber in our body screams, no way, I don't want to help them. I want them to suffer. People, there's no other reason to help except that God has forgiven us. The sins that they have committed against us is not greater than the sin that we have committed against the Holy God. And God has forgiven us much more than what anyone could have done to us on this earth. And we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. So we are called to walk as forgiven people to forgive others. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. That is the motivation, people. God has called us to forgive one another, to forgive members in our own family, to forgive members in this church, to forgive our relatives. Can we be forgiving people so that we walk in the forgiveness of Christ? And the third hard issue to address is to overcome fear, okay? Getting involved in helping people is risky. You don't know where that will take you. Now, if the Edomites took the side of Israel to protect them, they would have made themselves the enemy of Babylonian. It, their involvement could have been fatal. They would be outnumbered, outmatched militarily. So why should we risk our own safety for others? So the reason, Father, people, is because God has called us as Christians to protect one another. So you may have heard the cries of help somewhere in your family, cries of help in Agape, cries of help in your neighborhood, but you're just fearful to get involved because you don't know what that will cost you. I tell you, it can be costly. Okay, I'm gonna, not going to lie to you. It can be costly. How will, you, how will getting involved impact your free time? How will it impact your family, your job, your ministry? How will it impact your spiritual life? How will it impact you in many, many different ways? But people, we do not succumb to fear. If we think about all kinds of possibility, there is no end to that list. We do not succumb to fear because God gave us not a spirit of fear, but power and love and self-control in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If God is for us, who can be against us, people? We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. We do not succumb to fear. Let us go and help and protect someone. So people, if we can overcome these three hard issues, we are able to embark on a journey to away from violence towards protecting people who need help. But the truth is, we all know even if we try our best, we will still fail. We will not be able to help everyone. We will not be able to, to lay down ourselves in every case. 
we will fail even if we try harder. Now we'll go back to verse uh, 14 that we saw earlier. Obadiah said, Do not stand at the crossroad to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. You see, the Babylonians were used by God as the instrument of judgment on the Israelites. The fugitives were trying to escape the judgment of God. In the same way, people, we are sinners deserving of the judgment of God. We are not able to obey Him completely. We're not even a, a obey, a, a, not able to even uh, deal with our, our own pride, unforgiveness, and fear completely. So we are like the fugitives running for our lives from a righteous God who will hold sinners accountable. Who can protect us from the judgment of God? Where can we run to? The bad news is there is no escape. But the good news, people, is that Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 4, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that plays out in this verse 14, that though we are the enemies of God, Jesus stood at the crossroad not to cut us off from escaping, but he was there standing in the gap, being cut off from his Father so that we may escape unharmed. In the day of distress, on the cross, Jesus handed himself over to his executioner so that we may survive. People, Jesus died so we may escape. He died so we may live. Now, in closing, God cares about family relationships. He wants us to protect one another, especially those who are in our natural and spiritual families. And God cares so much about family that he sent his son to reconcile hostile people back to his own family. Now, if we look at the, uh, the history of Esau, from the line of Esau came a king named Herod the Great, an Edomite. He ordered the slaughter of baby boys because he wants to exterminate a newborn king. And his son, Herod Antipas, was just as bad. Herod Antipas beheaded John the Baptist. He was rich and powerful. If anyone stood in his way, their lives would mean nothing more than an ant on the ground to be, stopped, to be stomped on. Herod was a tyrant king whose motto is, What will it profit me? From the descendant of Jacob was Jesus, a servant king. He is the brother who came and rescued his brothers and sisters, even though many of the brothers and sisters hated him. He was born in a manger. He was the king of kings and lord of lords, but did not look like a king. He did not even live in a palace. The servant king 
came not to serve, not to be served. The servant king not to be served, but to serve, even to the point of death. His motto is, what will it profit my people? Now, Herod and Jesus came face to face in one of those Mark, one of those trials to try to determine whether Jesus should be sentenced to death. As Herod looked at Jesus, facing his accuser, Jesus didn't spoke, didn't speak. And then end up, Herod just mocks Jesus and ridicule him. Show no respect and honor to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Son of God could have shown Herod who was in charge. You think you can disrespect me? Let me show you my power. But Jesus knew that by protecting and defending himself, he would not profit his people. So Jesus, for the sake of his brothers and sisters, and that's all of you, you and me, subjected himself to insults, false accusations, and perversion of justice. Why? Because Jesus came to save his family out of love. He is the brother who laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. He was on the path to stop violence, the, the violence of eternal health and condemnation for us. He was on the path to protect his people from sin and death. He was on the road to to humble his people who, who would not humble themselves because they, they, they didn't care about others. He, was, he, was, he came to forgive people who, were, who harbor unforgiveness rather than walk in the path of forgiveness. He involved himself in our lives, though we were not willing to involve ourselves with the lives of other people out of fear. So people, to the extent that your heart is moved by what Christ has done to us, you will have the motivation to embark on a path for your family. Imagine what kind of family you could have if you would love and protect them and lay down your life for them. Imagine what kind of church we could have if we are people walking in humility, quick to forgive, quick to help one another without fear. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today amazed by the love of Jesus who would subject himself to the worst mistreatment for our sake. Would you humble us? Help us realize how ungrateful we have been to you. Help us realize how sinful we are and release forgiveness and ask for forgiveness in our own humility. Let your Holy Spirit transform us, Lord, into people who are fearless in helping to protect people in our natural and spiritual family to people who are willing to lay down our lives for the sake of our brothers and sisters 
and all who are in our own family. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.